0: we are going to walk through chapter 5 of the Confession, the doctrine of providence. One of the questions that we have in the Baptist Catechism is this. It says, how does God execute his decree? God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. If you remember, the Lord brings forward his decree. The Lord has ordained whatsoever shall come to pass, and he has ordained this from eternity past. He is accomplishing his good purpose through all that happens. And the way in which he brings about that to which he decrees is through creation. That's making everything that is made, bringing things into existence, and then maintaining them keeping them going, governing them. We we are not deists. There are many who were influential in the life of this country in its early years, and they were deists. So they believed in the idea of God, but not necessarily the Christian God. And the deists believed that God just pretty much made everything, and then he just let it go. He just He's hands-off at this point. Or a kind of a semi-deist view would be that, well, he gets involved at certain critical moments in history, at particular times, but not in the little peccadillos, not in the, the small aspects of life, and that is the opposite of what the Bible says about God's providence. That is the opposite of what the Bible says about God's work. The, the Bible says that God rules his creation that God is sovereign over all aspects of his creation. And though he, he is not necessarily, and we don't need to understand this, he's making everyone do what they do or he's causing everything to happen as though he's just, he's making that particularly happen as though he's forcing it to happen, but he's using, and we'll see this term second causes, he's using even the free actions of men the intentional actions of people to bring about his good purpose. Now, we saw that in the act of redemption. Men had their intention. Pilate had his intention. We had Herod had his intention. The Roman leaders had their intention. The Jewish leaders had their intentions. And they were all working, intending to accomplish certain ends. But the Lord was using even their intention actions. They're free actions, though we wouldn't say that they're completely free. They were fallen men. They're affected by sin. They're influenced by their culture, their environment. These are all things that affect them, but the Lord is using even the actions of these men. These men that are freely acting in that we're not teaching that they're robots or God's making people do the things that they do. God, God is using these actions of People to accomplish his purpose. The Lord decreed that Joseph would save his family by giving them food. The Lord decreed that Joseph would interpret the dream of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh would make provisions whereby he would store grain, and when the famine came, the world would come to them and they would buy grain, and it enriched Egypt greatly. But the means the Lord used whereby this would come to pass is honestly not something that anyone at that time would have imagined. It's not something that Joseph would have imagined. It's not something Pharaoh would have imagined. It's not something that the brothers of Joseph would have imagined. They desired to get rid of Joseph. They sold him into slavery. They were jealous of him. They were jealous of Joseph because of his father's favoritism. And the Lord used these sinful actions of men to send Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And the Lord used those actions whereby they would end up being saved. This is God's providence. He's working all things for his good purpose. And we have some promises in the scriptures about God's promises. We got God's providence that all things work for good for those that are in Christ Jesus all things are going to work for good and you don't may not always understand these things you may be sitting in a situation like job where you're suffering where you're going through extreme pain you're going through extreme difficulty you may know someone like that don't be like job's friends if you know someone like that but 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 you may know someone like that And if they're in Christ, you can know that although you may not understand why the Lord is doing what he's doing, why is the Lord working in this way? Why is the Lord allowing this to happen? But you can know the Lord is accomplishing his good purpose even through this. The Lord is going to use even this pain and this difficulty for the good of those believers. Do you think of this, many times people will use the evidence of evil and pain and suffering in the world as an evidence that God doesn't exist. How can you say that there is a God when there is, and then you name some great evil? You name some terrible thing that's happened. You name some terrible thing that is happening right now. How could God allow this to happen? It's a question that people ask. Thereby, rationalizing that, well, if this evil is here, then God can't exist. And the argument would go something like this. If, if God is a good God, then he wouldn't allow this evil to exist like it does. And if God is a sovereign God, he would do something about this evil. So either God's not sovereign, and therefore he's not God, he shouldn't be worshipped, or God is not good, he's evil, therefore he shouldn't be worshipped. But this is man's reasoning, this is man's wisdom. This is man seeking as the finite to judge the infinite. This is man looking from his perspective and assuming in his finite perspective that he can comprehend the wisdom of the omniscient God. And this is a fool's errand. This is dangerous because here's what you're doing when you do that. You are removing the only source and foundation and standard that we do that we have whereby we can call something good or evil. God is that standard. You're removing that standard and then seeking to judge that standard by a standard that you have created. And you're basically removing any basis whereby you can call anything good or evil. You will still call things good and evil, but you have removed the foundation whereby you can call something good and evil. So good and evil just becomes, well, whatever's pragmatic. Whatever is the best for the most amount of people. Whatever is good for me. And we begin to walk into relativism. We say, well, this is my truth. You have your truth. I, I have my truth. I should be able to share my truth as though you have your truth and I have my truth. No, there's a standard of truth. And God is that standard of truth. And so the doctrine of providence in the scriptures is something that connects. It gives us an understanding as to why there's evil in the world and the purposes for which it exists. And it gives it to you in a very general sense. It doesn't give it to you in the specific sense like you may want it. Why did this happen to me? Or why is this happening in this person's life? Or, Or why is this war happening over here? There's all kinds of things that happen in the world, and the Lord doesn't promise us that he will give us any explanation. He doesn't owe us anything. Think of Job, Job and his friends. I told you not to be Job's friend if if you have a friend that's suffering like Job. Job's friends showed up with Job, and they began to philosophize, and to go, well, why is this happening? Maybe you sinned, maybe it was your parents, maybe there's something over here, trying to figure out all these reasons, because certainly if this is a good person, nothing bad could ever happen to that person, as though that's a reasonable conclusion. But Job and his friends ask all these questions, and the Lord comes to Job, and he says, okay, gird up your loins, okay. The Lord comes in like a whirlwind, and he never answers Job's question. He asks him more questions. He says, you don't know the reason why this is happening to you now. That's true. I agree with you. Let me give you 70 other things you don't know the answer to. There's a whole lot of other things over here you don't know the answer to. So just go ahead and add these to the list as well. And he never gets an answer. The reality is Job might not have been able to comprehend the Lord's reasoning, the Lord's purposes why the Lord does what he does. But we must remember when we're studying God, because this doctrine of providence is very much connected to what we call theology proper. Theology proper is our understanding of who God is. And you begin to play games with providence, you're beginning to play games with who God is, you end up with a God who is not actually sovereign, or you end up with a God who's just trying to figure everything out, or just trying to do all the calculations. That's not, the, that's not how the Scriptures declare the Lord. I'm going to make these arguments for the things that I'm, I'm asserting here. But the doctrine of providence is connected very much to what the Scriptures say about God. And there's, that's where I hope to end this, is that there is this great hope that we should have of the doctrine of providence We don't have the hope that we'll have all the answers in this life, but we do have the hope that we have a relationship with the one that does, a sovereign, loving, kind, good God that is accomplishing his purpose in the world and is using the good things and the bad things in life for the blessing of his church. And within his church, the blessing of the members of his church those who are a part of the body of Christ. And that's the hope that we have, that you could lose all that you have in this life and you would have more than the one who knows not Christ. That's how sovereign God is. And God will display his glory even through these difficulties. So God is bringing to pass that which he has determined he will bring to pass through creation and through providence. Jim Renahan says this. He says, the doctrine expresses the continuing act of divine power subsequent to the act of creation by means which God preserves all things. God is preserving the world. God is keeping the world together. You can trust that the sun will come up tomorrow, not because there's some scientific principles that are telling you that, but because the Lord is maintaining it. You say, but they are scientific principles. Yes, there are, and they are God's scientific principles. These are not principles that are working outside of who God is. These are realities that God has brought into existence. God made the world. Is God bound by these scientific principles? Is God bound by the laws of physics? Absolutely not. They are His laws. He generally uses them. They're the way in which He has created the world, but. He is not bound even to what he has made. God is free. He is completely free. William Ames says this. He says, the providence of God is that efficacy whereby he provides for his creatures now made in all things according to the counsel of his own will. And you know what's nice about quoting the Puritans is that I could misspell a word as I was typing it up and you would never know because they spelled words differently a few hundred years ago. And so you would never know whether or not I spelt it wrong. But you've got to understand this about God God doesn't react, okay? God acts, God works, God has determined from eternity past what he will do. Okay? And so there's some, and I won't get into all the details of it, but there's some that haven't idea of God's providence and how he works, and that would be like that of a Molinist. And that was a theology that came about a little bit after the Reformation, and it was from a Catholic priest named Molin, and Molinus actually. And he was seeking to respond to theology that was being taught um, in Calvinistic and Reformed churches. And so his rationale that he came up with. And so I'm going to generalize this idea in the way in which many people teach it now. But it's this idea that God is more reactionary. God is looking. God is pondering. He's looking through the corridors of time, and he's, he's considering all the things that everyone is going to do. He's considering the best possible world, even back to creation, the best possible world that he could create. And he's pondering all the actions, all the trillions and trillions and mega-trillion actions the highest number I know, so I can't give you a higher one. But there's a lot more than that. All the different actions that people would do, and he's creating the best world that he could possibly make. And then once the world's in existence, he's working and he's responding, and he's like a, they even use this term, he's like a supercomputer. And he's calculating all of the different actions that people will do, and he's working within it to bring about the very best. And then when you look at the world and you see how it is, the response is, "Well, these are just the cards the Lord was dealt. This is the best that He could do. We know that this is the best that most people are going to be saved through this particular world, and we just know that's so it. This is the best that He could do. No basis for this idea anywhere in Scripture. It's completely reactionary. And I want you to understand this, and we'll unpack it more as we go through this chapter. But God is not reacting. God is not trying to respond to what people are doing. And that may be hard for you to fully understand and to imagine because you're finite and you exist within space and time. But God does not exist within space and time. God made space and time. So he's not bound my space and time, I want you to consider this reality the, the lord 's work in his decree he decreed that he would save a people through the Lord Jesus Christ in eternity past. the Father and the Son made a covenant with one another that the Son would save a people for himself that 's in Ephesians one the covenant that was made and even though Christ had not even accomplished that work yet, the fact that he was going to accomplish it had effects on people that died and lived, lived and died, prior to the incarnation of Jesus, prior to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in the first century. God is so sovereign that when he declares he's going to do something, it is effectual, even though he has not even brought it to pass. Yeah, that is the power of God. He's not reacting. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, he wasn't trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do now? Okay, I got an idea well, I'm going to send one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. That's what I'm going to do. He wasn't reacting. He was, the Lord just acts. The the Lord just is. Jim Renahan says this, God does not react to the world. He is not contingent. The doctrine, the doctrine of the decree teaches that he is sovereign over all things. It says contingent. It doesn't mean that He doesn't use the actions of other people or other people's actions don't cause particular things to happen in this world. It means that God is not acting in response to what other people are going to do. God is using even the works of those people to accomplish and bring to pass his sovereign will. And you don't have to fully understand this. I don't fully understand this. There's many things that we don't fully understand that we Trust and we believe, because the Lord declares them to be so um, so the lord 's the Lord's not responding, the Lord even in his actions he's brought he 's brought laws into existence he 's brought gravity into existence he 's brought light into existence the, the the earth goes around the sun you know as it does the the, the earth is spinning it 's rotating on its axis, and the normal pattern of the, of the earth is for the sun to rise and the sun to set, and there's a time in biblical history, though, where the sun stopped. The Lord wasn't bound by these laws of physics. He can work with them as he normally does. You can trust that they will continue to work tomorrow because God has established them and God maintains them. I mean, consider this. Sometimes the argument is, well, if they're supernatural. You can't trust anything to be true. You can't trust that I could do the same scientific experiment today, and then tomorrow it would be different. How would I know? How could there be any science? No, we can have science because we have a sovereign God that is maintaining order in the universe. We have a sovereign God that is maintaining things with their properties as they are. If everything is just random, if matter is just coming into existence from absolutely nothing— or if matters is just moving around and things are just coming into existence and, and evolving and turning from, from stardust to human beings, then how can you trust that things will be the same way they are tomorrow as they are right now? Some of them are, like, well, this is just science. I just believe in science. Like, science has its basis in the minds of Christians. It is Christians that created and cultivated this idea of of science, this understanding that we can study the world around us. We're just studying the world around you. We think we're so so brilliant. We, we do. We, we think we're so brilliant as in, in science and in our great studies, and we think we're so brilliant because we compare ourselves to people who came before us. Well, people before us believed this or that, or they'll say. Sometimes we even... Um, slander the people that came before us. Say all the people before us believe that the earth was flat. Well, no, that's not ex- that's not exactly right. That everyone before you believed that the earth earth was flat. That's not a that's not a legitimate idea, and it certainly wasn't something that is taught within the scriptures, and something that we shouldn't take in symbolic language and think that they're communicating this idea that the world is is flat. Um, but Christians are those that were scientists starting out and man in science is discovering things about God he is discovering what God created he's discovering how God made the world and young people you need to think of that as well that's what you're doing when you're in school and anything from studying math why is it that 2 plus 2 equals 4 that's how God made things this is how he has made the world you are studying how God has made the world. And so there is a good thing that is there. It's not like, oh, this is off on the side. This is a merely secular thing. No, you, you, are, you are studying. You are learning about what God has made. I know someone who is a math teacher, and he has an excellent speech that he gives at, at each of his classes when he begins on the first day, and he talks to the people about the glory of God in mathematics. I think there's some of you that, that maybe would appreciate something like that, or some of you are stunned like, really? The glory of God in mathematics? I, I hate mathematics. I don't like algebra. I don't like geometry. I don't like calculus. I don't like any of these things. But the reality is you can see God's handiwork in each of these areas. Um, providence is something that should influence how you see the world, how you understand things to be. He has ordained things as they are, and so you can trust that they are good people in times past would use this term uh, providence many times over. Arden Hodges is so, someone that I I utilize. He's he is a, a man who's taught through the confession, and I and I listened to his lectures in, in creating uh, these lessons that we walk through. And he uses an example from um, you know the previous wars, uh, revolutionary wars, civil wars, and and many of the leaders that were writing and they talked about the providence of God in the goodness of the providence of God, and the fact that if, if God has so ordained that I should die in battle today, that I, I, I will joyfully, I will, I will embrace that knowing that this is God's sovereign will. This is what God has ordained is best. This is what God has ordained is good. And there is something that is is freeing in that. You don't have to be the one to figure everything out. God has given you the area that you need to be concerned over. God has given you your life whereby you need to be concerned. But you don't, you don't have to figure everything out. You don't have to figure out how you're going to take over your culture. You don't have to figure out how you're going to take over the world. You don't have to figure these things out. The means the Lord used even to spread Christianity across the world. It's not a means that any of the people at that time would have imagined. People sitting in the upper room, praying, worshiping the Lord at that time, we're not imagining that in a few decades, some of them would be across the continent in Asia, in India, sharing the good news of Christ with others that were there. No one had imagined what the Lord was going to do, but the Lord used persecution upon them to spread them out. And you would have diaspora after diaspora. That is, diaspora is the moving of people and they would be scattered. Persecution would come, the people would be scattered. And this persecution, as some church historians say, was the fertilizer for the church. They would persecute the church, and the church would grow, and they would persecute the church, and the church would grow. Someone said, well, we should pray for persecution. No, you're you're never told to pray for persecution. Everything the Lord does is going to work for the good of his people. So we don't have to pray for sinful things to happen to us. We don't have to pray for abusive, terrible things to happen to the people of God so that God will bring about his good purpose. We can trust God to do, to bring about his good purpose in the world in working in it. Jim Ranahan says this. He says, God has foreordained whatever comes to pass. He executes his decree in the works of creation and providence. What we see around us is simply the historical expression of the eternal decree of God. That which he planned is accomplished everywhere by his good pleasure. He upholds, directs, disposes, and governs as he sees fit. This, tr- this this has tremendous implications. Why do natural disasters occur? Why do tragedies take place? Because God has determined to bring them to pass. So let's read this chapter. I've made a lot of assertions here, and so I'm going to have to back them up with some scripture because some of you are saying... How can he say these things? This is just an introduction to the chapter. But Let's look at the the first paragraph. It says, God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power, wisdom, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence to the end for which they were created according unto his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. And look at this beginning portion here. It says, God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power, wisdom, does uphold, direct dispose, and govern all creatures and things. The confession declares this doctrine because this doctrine is declared in the scriptures. This is not just a bunch of guys sitting around, philosophizing, coming up with theology and and, and neat ideas. These are derived from the scriptures. One of the most direct scriptures you can find on this is in Hebrews 1, 3, and 4. Look what it says. Speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels, and as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The writer of the book of Hebrews comes right out and declares that Jesus upholds the universe by his power. And then he goes on to talk about the purification for sins that Jesus has accomplished. Now tell me this. If God is not providentially bringing to pass his eternal decree, if he is not sovereign over all that is happening, how can we trust that he is going to bring to pass his redemptive purpose in Christ Jesus? Are we just hoping that he figures it out? Are we just hoping that, well, this is just going to be the best world that he could possibly make? How could he have brought about the redemptive purposes that he has brought about in Christ Jesus if he was not sovereign every little any little area that he had not control over could have led the whole thing to just fall apart but he was sovereign he's sovereign see the contrary view to the reformed view of the providence of god the contrary view looks at history rather as lord working striving scheming responding to the actions of his creation to bring his decree to pass. At any moment, it could all just fall apart. All right? But he, we're all just hoping that he's going to make the right calculations and bring it to pass. But that's not what the scriptures say. Okay, the scriptures say that the Lord is bringing to pass his sovereign decree. He is sovereign over all things. Look at Job thirty-eight, eleven. It says, And said, Thus far, far shall you come, and no farther, Here shall your proud waves be stayed. The Lord is sovereign over his creation. The Lord says, no, this is it. Man, you go no farther. You live here. Talks about that. God has determined the places where people will live. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's bringing to pass his decree providentially within the world as he maintains, governs, and upholds all things. Look at what it says in in Isaiah. I mean, this is something, friends, it should be a great source of comfort for you. This is a reason why you can stand firm on the word of God. You can trust that God is sovereign. He's going to bring his good purposes to pass. I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry. Look at Isaiah. Consider what it says there, Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, your transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling the bird of prey from the east and the man of my counsel from the far country. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. We have the decree of God and the providential hand of God spoken of here within this passage. God has declared, this is what I'm going to do. God has determined this is what he will do. And the Lord is sovereignly working and bringing to pass that which he has determined that he will do. This is a long quote. It's going to take some focus to think through it, but it's a good quote. This is by Jeremiah Burroughs. He says this, there is an infinite variety of works of God in the ordinary providence, and yet all work in ordinary ways. We put these two together for God in the way of his providence causes a thousand, thousand things, one to depend upon another. There are infinite several wheels, as we may say, in the works of providence, all the works that ever got, that God ever did from all eternity, or will ever do, put them all together, and they all make up but one work, and they all have, may have be several wheels, and they have their orderly motion to attain the end that God from all eternity hath appointed. We have indeed, we have indeed, to look at these things by pieces. We have, we indeed, look at these things by pieces. We look at one particular. And do not consider the reference of that one thing that it hath to another. But God looks at all things at once and sees the reference to the one, that the one thing has to another. God is sovereignly working and bringing about his purpose. And we must trust in that. We must trust the Lord has said what he will do, has determined this is what he will do, and this is what he is going to do. And the Lord is bringing... Let me give you another quote. Here is one's by Sam Waldron. He says this, "...in relation to the foreknowledge and the decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably or infallibly, so that there is not anything that befalls by chance or without his providence. The reality and importance of means in which the world which God has, has made do not negate the reality or the immutability of his eternal decree." The fatalist and the Arminian argue that if God has ordained everything, nothing we do can make a difference. The Bible reasons in an exactly opposite way. Since God has ordained all things, the means he has ordained do make a difference. Some people will say that. Well, if God is sovereign over who will be saved, why bother preaching? No, you could turn that around very strongly, and say, if God has not ordained, who will be saved? If God is not going to work, why bother preaching? What you're doing does matter in this realm. What you do does matter because God has purpose that it would matter. You are participating. Okay? God is giving your work purpose and significance. Don't look at the providence of God and say, what does it matter? How proud of man to look at things that way. Well, if I'm not the one that's sovereign, why does it matter? Is that really what you want? Do you want to be the one who is sovereign over your own salvation? Do you want to be the one who is sovereign over the salvation of another? Do you want to be the one who is fretting at night, wondering, well, did I share the gospel exactly right? Or did I make the right arguments? Many times you've shared the gospel with someone, you're thinking thinking about that. You can sit and you're like, man, I should have said this. I should have said that. As you share the gospel more, as you have these conversations with people, you'll grow in your understanding of this. You'll find better ways to communicate. But your friend, you don't want to be the person who, who has the burden on your back that oh, this person is going to spend eternity in hell because I just didn't think fast enough. I didn't come up with the right answer soon enough. No. Your role Your role is to share the good news of Christ. Your role is to share the law and the gospel. And even with your poor declaration, even though you may stumble over certain words, you may not have all the best answers. You may not be as slick as this other person. The Lord can use even that for his good purpose. Do we not see that over and over in the scriptures? That the Lord even uses people that you never would have imagined, that people then wouldn't have imagined this is the person the Lord's going to use? Going to use David, the shepherd boy? That's gonna be the warrior? That's gonna be the warrior that the Lord's going to use to defeat this great Philistine warrior. This one that he can't even wear armor. He, he can't carry, he can't carry a spear, he can't carry a sword, he can't carry a shield. He's walking out there with a slingshot in rocks. I heard some really bad Sunday school lessons growing up where, where people said, Well, you know. He had all that time as a shepherd boy to really hone in the skill of that slingshot. Yes, he did. He did use the slingshot over the years, but that you are not to imagine that it was just because of David's great skill with a slingshot that the greatest warrior of the Philistine was defeated. That that is like that is like that is like you've got a 15-year-old young man here with a pellet gun going up against a Navy SEAL. Warrior, with with all of his accoutrements, with, with all of his his guns, his grenades, flash bombs, all the stuff they have, all of his armor that he would be wearing, and that fifteen year old with a pellet gun takes out the. Is it, yeah, it is possible. It is possible that you could you could take someone out with a pellet gun, even with all the Navy SEAL person would have on them. But that's. You're not going to look at that and say, well, it's because he practiced so hard shooting coyotes with that pellet, shooting squirrels with the pellet gun. No, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to say, this is an act of God. That's incredible. That's exactly what you were supposed to see with David defeating Goliath. This was an act of God. God was choosing the one that you never would have imagined to defeat this great warrior so that you would look and say, this is the hand of the Lord this is the Lord accomplishing his good purpose. Amos three and verse six. We close with a couple passages here, and then we'll continue next time. Says so is, is the trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city and the Lord has not done it? The Lord is sovereign over all things. It's a time where we lost everything we owned, just about, everything that wasn't in, in the car we drove over here in in a hurricane. This is, this is the will of the Lord. We, we trust this is the will of the Lord. He sustained us this far in our lives that we're going to trust that he'll continue to sustain us. But there's no question in my mind that the Lord's sovereign hand was involved in sending that hurricane into New Orleans as it did and accomplishing many, many things. Probably standing here right now because a hurricane hit New Orleans. I didn't intend to live in Houston, but here I am. I've been here 18 years now. Uh, because a hurricane sent us over here. Houston was one month old at that point when we came over here, not what we were imagining. Job 13, 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. Job is recognizing that even the things that are happening here are happening providentially by the Lord. The Lord has determined these things will happen. This doesn't mean that the Lord was afflicting Job it was we know we know the story we know what happened the Lord afflicted Job but the means that w- that was used was the actions of Satan Satan was acting Satan was the actor there we begin to get into this concept that we're going to unpack next time is this idea of first causes and second causes and and the first cause is God's determined this will happen but but the Lord wasn't the one that was directly afflicting him the Lord was allowing. Satan to work. The Lord was allowing Satan to do that which he did. Why is the Lord doing that? For his own glory. That's what we have. We don't even get a full answer in the book of Job. The Lord doesn't tell us why it is that he did what he did, why it is that Job lost all that he did, and he gained back so much that he did. We just know that the Lord was sovereign over this, and we know that the actor that was involved was Satan, and it gives us a glimpse into this idea of how providence providence works. The Lord does what he wants, though. He's not reacting. He's not responding. Let's look at Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the sea, in all the deeps, wherever, anywhere. The Lord does as he wants. He asks no one permission. The Lord places kings in authority where they are, and the man sits there proud, sovereign over his rule at that time and he's sovereignly ruling and doing whatever he is doing at that time so long as the lord has determined that he will be there and no longer and no longer daniel 2 21 he changes times and seasons he removes kings and sets up kings and you remember this each and every election cycle you should be involved politically in in your culture you should be voting You should be voting well. You should be considering how it is that you vote, but not in such a way that you're saying, oh no, if this person doesn't make it in, it's all lost. No, we care because these are people's lives. We care because we want God to be glorified through people living righteously. We want people to be safe. We want people to be protected. We are even to pray that we can live peaceably amongst this culture. That's not our hope though. It's not our hope. Our hope is in the Lord and the Lord is bringing to pass his decree providentially, bringing it to pass. And we can trust in that. There's great hope in that. There's great blessing in that. And it should be something that should lead us to worship. And we'll unpack that as we keep going. We'll see as we keep going through this section that there, this emphasizes the creature and creator distinction that the creator is one that providential is bringing all things to pass, and the creature is one who is providentially being sustained and kept by God's providence. It should be something that should lead us to worship, to see the ways in which God can use all things for his glory and for the good of his church. So let's, let's close there.